Well, you know what? 128 years after Jesus was alive, there was a Roman emperor named Marcus Aurelius Antoninus Augustus. I think we should bring back multiple middle names. I love that. Marcus Aurelius Antoninus Augustus. Actually, my second grandson is named Augustus. I asked my son if he was going to name his third son Maximus, but no. He had a little girl instead, so it didn't work. But he ruled from 161 to 180 AD, and he was a Stoic philosopher. In actual fact, Marcus Aurelius was one of the last of what was referred to as the five good emperors. And over nearly a 200-year span of rulership, these five emperors created what is known in history as the Pax Romana, which essentially was identified as the golden age of increased and sustained Roman imperialism and order. Now, that sounds mildly terrifying, full of torture and garrisons. But in actual fact, in those nearly 200 years of Pax Romana, whilst they were in charge, there was relative peace, calmness, and stability throughout the whole Roman Empire, which pretty much was from England to Russia and a little further south. Marcus Aurelius was a Stoic philosopher, and one of his most famous quotes is this. What we do now echoes in eternity. How many of you thought actually Maximus said that? Now, he just stole it off his emperor in the movie. Marcus Aurelius, the emperor, actually said that. What we do now echoes in eternity. And you know what? This weekend, what a blessing, what a privilege, what an honor. We literally get to bask in that echo. We get to bask in the echo of remembrance of one of the most amazing and the most profound acts of love ever shown to all of humanity. And that act of love has echoed down throughout time. And guess what? Unlike a natural echo, it has never got quieter and it has never faded. It has never faded. And it is never going to dilute. We remember on Good Friday that Jesus died. Jesus, who was introduced to the world by John the Baptist with this famous declaration out of the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29, that says this, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In the uh, message translation of the Bible, it says it this way, Here he is, God's Passover Lamb. Why Lamb? Why would you call the Son of God a lamb? And why would a lamb be sacrificed? Well, theologians have ascertained that the sacrifice of a lamb started some 1,400 years before Jesus was crucified. Before he became the Passover lamb. It was established, if you don't know the story, it was established in the land of Egypt. The Israelites had been slaves for 400 years and they had cried out to God and he had heard their cry. And as you know the story, God brought judgment after judgment, plague after plague against the, Israel, against the Egyptians and against Pharaoh because he refused to let God's people go. And then the final judgment was when the angel of death was going to pass through the whole of the land of Egypt and kill every firstborn son. But this was the instruction of God. Take an unblemished lamb and sacrifice it 
dip a hyssop branch into its blood and literally paint the doorposts and the lintel of your house. That's the, the beam across the door, top of your door. Paint it with the blood of the lamb. And then when the angel of death flies across Egypt, he will see the blood and pass over. And the Israelites are instructed to perform the ceremony every year, at the same time every year, as a reminder of what God did for them in delivering them from, not just delivering them from Egypt, and not just delivering them from slavery, but delivering them from a life of absolute and certain death. But why every year? I mean, that's a lot of lambs. Well, this was because the power of sin was and still is real. And the sacrifices that they made could not literally break the power of sin. You see, whilst the lamb that was sacrificed was unblemished, it wasn't perfect. However, I love that word. However, in actual fact, it should be said completely, however, comma, for the grammatically minded people. However, comma, Jesus was not only unblemished, he was perfect. Perfect. He'd never sinned. Man, that's a, that's a tall order to fill, isn't it? He'd never sinned. The Bible says that he was tempted with everything that we are were, we were tempted with, and he never sinned. How could that be? Because he was perfect. He was God in the human flesh. In Romans chapter 6, verse 10, the beginning, 10a, it says this. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. See, every sacrifice lamb up until that point had just enough obedience from the command of God himself, not to break the power of sin, but to cover it. See, God can't look on sin. Light and dark do not mix. There are no 50 shades of whatever color you want. There is light and there is dark. I remember back in my engineering days, I was working with lead, molten lead. And I got one of the most profound examples of light and dark not mixing as I could possibly get it. And when it happened, I thought, that'll preach. I was melting lead, and if you know anything about purifying metal, you keep adding heat to it underneath it, and you melt it, and you melt it, and you melt it, and all the garbage and, and dross and, and scum and slag, it all kind of, and it comes to the surface, and you scrape it off the top, and it's this beautiful, shiny surface, and then you heat it up some more, and more stuff comes to the surface, and you scrape it off until it is absolutely pure. And then I was teaching my trainees the trade, and I said, in this process, there is no shortcuts on safety. You cannot have any water anywhere near you while you are doing this. And they were like, oh, why? And I said, I'm so glad you asked that, because I'm about to show you why. Stand back about 10 feet. When you have pure molten lead, and literally in liquid, almost as, as, as easily running as water, even one droplet of water, when it lands on molten lead, it does not go, it doesn't just go into the lead, it does go and turn into steam. The molten lead literally explodes and it ejects the water out in a really nasty explosion and it throws molten lead everywhere. Why do I tell you that? Because that's what happens when the light, the pure light of God, 
encounters darkness. The scriptures indicate that the enemies come at God one way and they flee seven. That's because the pure light of God causes them to literally explode in a million directions. And that's why we could not come before God without a sacrificed lamb. Amber just told you how when Jesus hung on the cross and he said, it is finished, the veil between the holy place and the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant used to be. That's a whole nother theological story, that one. Priests of the day, were they were worshipping an empty room. The Ark of the Covenant was no longer behind the curtain. It had been lost. And so when that veil tore in two, it did two things. It exposed the fallacy of religion and the emptiness of religion. But within the minds of the Israelites, what it did was it made access to where the presence of God is completely available to every single person. Jesus came, he died once to break the power of sin. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 20, For you know that your lives were ransomed once and for all from the empty and the futile way of life handed down from generation to generation. The empty and the futile life of ritual and religion, which is form without power. It, is not, uh, it was not a ransom payment of silver or gold, which eventually blemishes. Verse 19, but the precious blood of Christ, who like a spotless, unblemished lamb was sacrificed for us. This was part of God's plan. For he was chosen and destined for this before the foundation of the earth was laid. But he has been made manifest in these last days for you. What does that mean? He has been made manifest. It means we have access. But if light cannot abide darkness and darkness encountering pure light is exploded in a million directions like molten lead, how is it we can come before God? Because of Jesus. Because of his death on the cross. Because of him paying the price for the sin of humanity, past, present, and future. And essentially, we are covered, to use a descriptive form, we are covered by the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, we can stand before God Free, justified, and made whole because of the pure payment, the pure sacrifice once and for all by Jesus. It's okay, Celia, let it out. <laughs> and we come to today. Oh, today. Oh, today. I mean, all weekend I've had this phrase going through my mind Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. I wish I had T.D. Jakes here to say that. Yeah. That would set the place on fire. Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, we remember, we celebrate how Jesus rose from the grave and he is alive. Yeah. Now, let me read to you the whole of verse 10 of Romans chapter 6. The first part I've already read to you. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. Here's the rest of it. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. That Passover celebration, this remembrance has echoed through time for over 3,000 years. Jesus' resurrection has echoed through time for over 2,000 years. 
And it will continue to do so whilst there is breath in the lungs of believers who love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, and with all their strength. Are you in? Right, I should hold an altar call right now. (laughs) You know what? I make no apology for getting excited about what I'm preaching this morning. Jesus is alive. But here's the thing. And you'll get why I'm as excited as I am this morning. Remembering what God has done has been an important part of Jewish worship for eons. And it's an important part of ours. After God delivered the Israelites from Egypt, he instructed the people to remember his words. He told them to diligently teach his commands and to talk about them in their houses, when they walked, when they were lying down, when they were getting up in the morning. That's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Israelites were told consistently and constantly to remember what God had done, who God was and what he had done and what he had said to them. The psalmist himself appeared to know that purposefully remembering what God had done is a powerful practice. And it's a powerful practice that we should take part in. What does remembrance do? Remembrance helps us think about the grace and love of God. Remembrance provides reassurance that we are right with God through Jesus. Remembrance fills us with hope that God will be faithful to do what he promised. Remembrance strengthens our faith in God and in his word. Now, let me be quick here, right here, pause and point this out. Remembrance works the other way too. If we consistently and constantly remind ourselves of the things that go bad, If we consistently and constantly remind us of the people who hurt us, guess what? We don't become encouraged. We don't grow in strength. We don't have enthusiasm about the day. We get bitter. We walk in unforgiveness. We walk in sickness. And we we deep a very deep hole and we sink ourselves into the depths of some of the greatest sicknesses that cover the face of the earth right now. And I'm not just talking about uh, depression and anxiety. It is medically proven that if we consistently and constantly remind ourselves of the bad things that have happened, it physiologically changes your being. Just as the opposite, when we remember the good things of God, when we remember the promises of God, when we remember the things that he has done and we speak them out, it changes ourselves physiologically. And if you want to know a little bit more about that, you come next week because, man, i got a great message for you. Next week, my message is called, Do It, Grow It. But that's next week. (coughs) Developing a practice of remembrance will keep our minds fixed on God and keep our hearts connected with grace. Developing a practice of remembrance of the bad things will keep our minds fixed on bad things and keep our hearts connected with bad things. You getting that? This is what the psalmist wrote. Psalm 103, verse 2. Praise the Lord, O my soul. He talked to himself. I think I said this last week. It's biblically okay to talk to yourself. I like that. I do it all the time. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and don't forget how kind he is. What is he encouraging us not to forget? Verses 3 and 4. He forgives all my sins and he heals all my diseases. He rescued me from hell and he blesses me with love and mercy. However, question, comma, however, comma. What do we do with what we remember? What do we do with it? If, as Marcus Aurelius says, what we do now echoes in eternity, 
What does what we remember stir us or provoke us to do now? Let me put it this way. Let me bring it a little bit closer to home for all our married couples. Men, if all you do is remember that it's your wedding anniversary and do nothing, that ain't going to help. Don't go up to your wife and go, well, it was the thought that counted. Not so much. You see, here's the thing. There is no expression in memory, but memory should provoke expression. And if you're on Twitter, you can tweet that. That's mine. (laughs) I didn't steal that quote. (laughs) There is no expression in memory, but memory should provoke expression. And for all of you who are joining us from around the world this morning, God bless you for joining us online. Take that quote and bounce it around your country too. Remembrance helps us. Now, I gave you a whole list of things that remembrance does. It helps us think about the grace of God, provides reassurance, gives us hope, strengthens our faith. But guess what? Remembrance helps us worship God for what he has done and be grateful for what he will do. That there, guys, oh my goodness, that there is the key to the beginning of your day. You never, ever, ever, ever have to get out on the wrong side of the bed in the morning. As long as you practice remembrance before you get out of bed (laughs) and remember the right thing. You know the saying, practice makes perfect? No, practice makes permanent. What do you practice? If you practice gratitude, you will always get out of the bed on the right side in the morning. If you practice negativity, you'll always get out on the wrong side. Remembrance helps us worship God for what he's done and be grateful for what he will do. Romans chapter 10 verse 9, the great salvation verse is this. If we openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, you know what? We use that as preachers. We use that all the time for people getting saved eternally, like giving their lives to Jesus Christ. But guess what? That there right now will save your day. Literally save your day. If you wake up in the morning and the first thing you do is declare that Jesus Christ is your Lord and you believe in your heart, you remember the things that he has done and you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. What is it you need to be saved from today? Let's not make that list. (laughs) Let's just not go there. We act. We literally act on this Passover sacrifice remembrance. We act on the fact. Oh, I like that. We act on the fact that Jesus is alive. We, how do we do that? By worshiping him. By openly declaring with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. By believing in our hearts that Jesus died for us. By calling on him and giving him our lives. Then the things we remember that he did are completed in our lives. Let me read you Titus. Titus is an author from in the latter part of the New Testament, wrote a small book. Chapter 3, verses 4 through 7 says this, but when God our Savior revealed his kindness and his love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things he had, we had done, but because of his mercy. I want you to think about that. Nothing that we did. Nothing that we did. Book of Acts says we're not saved by works. We're saved by faith. That salvation is a free gift that comes from God. 
because of his mercy, he washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. He didn't just cover our sin. So we had to sacrifice a lamb again and again and again. He washed our sin away. He gives us a new birth. That that great Christian saying of question, are you born again? Through Jesus Christ, you can be. He sets us on a new path and he gives us a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, His Son, and our Savior. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, because He paid the price, He made us right in His sight. This is good news. This is the gospel, which means good news. This gives us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. What Jesus did echoes in eternity. Now, what will we do with this remembrance? Psalm 103, verses 3 and 4. Let me repeat that. Remember this. He forgave all our, forgives all our sins. And he heals all my diseases. He rescued me from hell and he blesses me with love and with mercy. We have been forgiven. I want you to think about this. What will you do with what we remember? He forgives all my sins. We have been forgiven. Therefore, we can forgive. But will we? He healed all our diseases. We've been healed of diseases. That means, accordance with the Bible, we can pray for the sick. But will we? He rescued us from hell We can share that same life and hope with others. But will we? He has blessed us with his love and his mercy. Therefore, we can show his love and his mercy. But will we? I want you to think about what we remember today. I want you to seriously consider what it is that is the declaration of your heart. The song that uh, we are about to bring to you this morning is called The Risen Lamb of God. And the chorus of it says this, Behold the risen Lamb of God, the cornerstone, our solid rock. Jesus, your name will echo through eternity. The one that hell could not contain. The one who left an empty grave. Jesus, your name will echo through eternity. Now, I want you to think about this. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey on Palm Sunday, so Sunday week ago in in history, they were pulling palm branches and they were putting it on the road in front of him and they were throwing their jackets down on the road in front of him. They were going, all hail the king of the Jews. They They were worshiping their coming king. And the Pharisees of the day commanded Jesus to tell his disciples and all the people to be quiet. And you know what his response was? If they hold their tongues, the very rocks will declare 
you know what? The echo of what Jesus did is going to continue to echo through eternity if through creation on its own. Precious is the one who bore my sin. How beautiful the hands that drew me in. The Savior of the world. The one who's not contained by time or space. The one who lit the stars and knows my name. Savior of the world, the Savior of the world. Behold the risen Lamb of God, the cornerstone of solid rock. Jesus, your name will echo through eternity. The one that hell could not contain, the one who left an empty grave. Jesus, your name will echo. the song that heaven sings forever lifted high will let it ring or oh, the song of the redeemed or oh, the song of the redeemed behold the risen lamb of god the cornerstone of solid rock jesus your name will echo
So what do we do when we encounter a living God who is alive today? When people came in contact with the resurrected Jesus, almost every one of them responded in the same way. They were all terrified. The soldiers who were guarding the tomb fell down. The Bible says they fell down as if they were dead. Jesus had to tell his own disciples not to be alarmed when he appeared before them. The religious elite, they didn't even believe that Jesus would rise, but they were terrified that he would. And you know what? In one sense, that is a very, very appropriate response. Very, very appropriate response to the king who wrestled with death and won. <laughs> but there are two other responses displayed by Mary. When Mary stood outside Jesus' tomb and she heard him call her name, she immediately fell down on her knees and worshipped him, reaching out to take hold of him. Is that our response this morning? When we think about Jesus, will we just begin to worship and reach out to take hold of him? But didn't just stop there with Mary. As she stood and she began to talk to him, he gave her some instructions. What did she do? She turned and she ran, not out of fear, but she ran with the good news that Jesus was alive. Will we run with that good news? Will we run to those that we know and that we love and tell them the good news that Jesus is alive? Psalm 118 verses one and four says this, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let all who fear the Lord repeat, His faithful love endures forever. Will what we do echo in eternity? 